The scripture reading for today comes from the book of Ruth, chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. I will be reading in Spanish. The English translation will be on the screen. Ruth se inclinó hacia la tierra, se postró sobre su rostro y exclamó, ¿Cómo es que le he caído también a usted hasta el punto de fijarse en mí, siendo solo una extranjera? Ya me han contado, le respondió vos, todo lo que has hecho por tu suegra desde que murió tu esposo, como dejaste padre y madre, y la tierra donde naciste y viniste a venir con el pueblo que antes no conocías. Que el Señor te recompense por lo que has hecho. Que el Señor, Dios de Israel, bajo cuyas alas has venido a refugiarte, te lo pague con creces. Ojalá sigo yo, siga yo siendo de su agrado, mi Señor, contestó ella. Usted me ha consolado y me ha hablado con cariño, aunque ni siquiera soy como una de sus servidoras. This is God's word. As many of you have noted, it's been a very violent time in our city, especially the last couple weeks. And this is hard news to continue to process because this is on top of over a year of dealing with COVID and also unrest in our city. Now we're in a chapter where there's continued violence in our city. And just to bring it very close into our neighborhood, uh, on Friday night into Saturday morning, another shooting occurred in downtown Minneapolis. And among those shot and killed in this incident is Charlie Johnson, a University of St. Thomas student who was going to graduate yesterday with his engineering degree. So even right here in our community, uh, the campus that we minister to, there is massive grief and lament. In addition, over the last week or so, three kids have been shot in Minneapolis, two while riding in their cars, and one little girl was shot while uh, bouncing on her trampoline. Only uh, a couple of the kids, as I understand it, are still fighting for their lives, and one child passed away on Monday. And one of the things I've been haunted by this week is listening to a speech of one of the grandmothers of one of these shooting victims as she was crying out in lament and grief because I think in that moment of intense, unbearable pain, she's looking around our city and she's also grieving our inconsistent reaction to these matters. And she said this, quote, why is this community not angry? Y'all tell me that. Because he was a black kid, is that why? Because a cop didn't shoot him? Is that why? These are the questions that are coming from a lamenting, grieving grandmother of a 10-year-old shooting victim in our city on the north side of Minneapolis. We're in a time where care and concern for justice is inconsistent in our city, and this grandmother is calling it as it is. I talked to a church leader this week who ministers on the north side of Minneapolis, and I was asking him about this. What is his take on why our city isn't responding more dramatically to the violence that's happening, in particular on the north side? Why is there an inconsistency, and what are the church leaders there in that community saying about it? And his take on it is that this situation doesn't fit into a political narrative, so therefore it's not emphasized. He said that church leaders and community leaders from the north side have been calling on 
city leaders to take notice, but because it's not one of the things that they want to emphasize in this political season, it, and there's some division amongst themselves, it's not getting the attention it deserves. That's not right. That's a messed up view of justice that's inconsistent in our city. And I take this into the text today because like many of you, you, this is how you engage God's word. You have the things going on in your city that's weighing on your heart, and then you go to a passage like Ruth 2, and you say, Lord, what do you want to say to this? This is what's going on. And then we are, we are kind of probably in a season where we're overwhelmed. Are you overwhelmed with just the things going on in your life, the relationships, the policies, the uncertainty, the things that continue to be disruptive in your life? It's overwhelming. And then here's your pastor saying, there's an inconsistency here in our city and our sense of justice. And you're like, well, what should I do? Because I'm so over overwhelmed by the situation. How do we fix this mess? And there's so many ways to answer a question like that. But going to Ruth 2 today, I want to give one specific answer. And it is this. Care and don't stop showing kindness. Care about what is right in front of you and what's happening and don't just care about the things that your biased narrative wants to care about. And once you start caring, start showing kindness in your everyday life. That's what we're going to see in Ruth chapter 2. That in light of God's kindness in Jesus Christ, we also are called to not stop caring or showing kindness. Let's see that in Ruth chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 3 with me. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Amalek, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain. And uh, behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz. In chapter 1, we remember that Naomi fled from her homeland because of a famine. She brought with her husband and two sons. Her two sons eventually remarry Moabite women. But also, it was a bitter time for Naomi. She loses her husband and loses her two sons. They die, and her two sons do not have children yet with their wives. And now she is left with her daughters-in-law. As they were going home, uh, we, they get word that the famine is going away. There's food again back in the homeland. So she heads back, and one of her daughter-in-laws uh, goes back to her homeland. And when you read the story, it's like, that's a reasonable decision. That's what anybody would do. You go back to where there's security, or maybe you can remarry, you can have this uh, uh, kind of social safety net. And so she goes back, but then there was a more radical choice that was made by Ruth, a choice you didn't expect, where she turns from the safety of her homeland, the safety of her faith, the safety of her country, and clings to Naomi and turns to her country, culture, and faith, even though that meant embracing a life of un in uncertainty 
and certainly just a hard day-to-day existence is what she was leaning into with Naomi because losing uh, those family members meant that uh, their, their lives and their livelihood was in jeopardy and life was going to be hard. So especially last week, we continue to see Ruth's kindness, right? Her commitment to clinging to Naomi. We consider how that applies to friendship and, and how relationships need to have this like covenantal, gritty kindness, right? And we see it in this chapter right, as well. Ruth's kindness is still present. She asks permission to go to the fields and to pick leftover grain. Uh, this is how, culturally speaking, in the Old Testament law, God provides for her. Uh, people that are disadvantaged by commanding his people to intentionally not harvest every kernel of grain, but to leave it for those in need. Yet it's still to be noted that Ruth is brave and courageous in doing this act. Remember the time that this is taking place. This is also not an easy time uh, in the Old Testament narrative. This is the time of judges. This is the time where everybody did what was right in their own eyes, meaning that for Ruth, This disadvantaged person to go into a field like this meant she was putting her very life at risk. She was at risk of abuse or even worse by doing this, but she's going to do it because she wants to provide for Naomi. She has clung to Naomi and she is all in on that relationship. But then we're introduced to a new character. His name is Boaz. And the narrator lets us know a couple details about Boaz. One, he's a man of standing, and that could mean a, different, a couple different things. It could be referring to his character, that he's a respected man, or it could be referring to his influence, that he's a man of wealth and standing. It's probably maybe a little bit of both that it's referring to. And also, what's emphasized throughout this chapter is Boaz's kindness. And we uh, have already talked about just the deep theological meaning of kindness. This is a kindness that is defined by the very character of God, his loving kindness. When we talk about God's kindness, we're talking about his unending faithfulness, love, and commitment to his people, no matter what happens. And Ruth is a book about human characters and how they embody this divine kindness. And we see Boaz specifically being the person in this story, in chapter 2, who embodies this kindness. So that's what's going on. So Ruth goes out and she starts gleaning in the field. And the narrator tells us that, as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz. As it turned out, that's a curious phrase to use. It's, it's the equivalent of saying, like, as luck would have it. And if you've been in any type of Christian circles any, uh, long enough, if you've thrown that out, you might have gotten a curious response. Have you ever been in a conversation with a particularly pietistic Christian and you said something like, good luck, and then they threw this at you? I don't believe in luck. That's heretical. Why would you even say that? God is providential. And you're just like thinking in your head like, chill, dude. May God have mercy on your uptight soul, right? That's kind of what you're thinking. So like, it's kind of this weird thing to have in this text because the book of Ruth specifically is a book that subtly, but it's a main theme, points to the providence of God. 
But so, and, the God, and again, what God's providence is, is how God rules history according to his plan, that he's working everything because he has a grand plan to give himself glory and to bring uh, human flourishing and redemption into human history. And so he's in charge, he's governing things. So that's what it's about. So it's weird to say that, uh, that as it turned out, as it happened, as luck would have it. And the most likely way to uh, read this is that this is a, a maybe like a cheeky or kind of ironic way to draw our attention to the providence of God. It's similar to, there's a story that we've often told here at Trinity where way, way, way back at the founding of Trinity, it was my family and, and not much else other than the dream to do this. And I met who was the director of a crew at St. Thomas at that time. Uh, and we were just networking and I was telling him about the church plant. And as that was happening, and I had no idea this was happening um, in the, you know, the same chapter, that there was this other group of people that were moving to this neighborhood and they said we should uh, think about planting a church there. And there was somebody in the group that was going to seminary and they're like, maybe you should do it. And he wasn't interested in doing that. So he, he punted to a theoretical person that could be already here planting a church. And as it turns out, as it turns out, there was this theoretical person that God was calling to plant a church. Later that evening, they met with a friend who was the director of crew at St. Thomas, where he told them about a church planter that God had called to this neighborhood. As it so happens, as chance would have it, wink, wink, God is in charge. That's what's going on right here. And one of the goals that God has here is to fulfill his promises that will eventually lead to a great king, King David. And this is going to happen through the family tree of Boaz and Ruth. But for this arrangement to even take place, we have to have a person, and Boaz has to be a person that embodies two different things. He needs to be a relative of Naomi, check. And he needs to be kind, check. But notice if either one of those things were missing, this whole thing would fall through. But as it would have it, as luck would have it, both things are in place. Now let's turn to see the nonstop kindness of Boaz at work. Look at verses four through seven with me. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz arrives and greets his workers, the Lord be with you, and they respond joyfully, the Lord bless you. At this company, it's okay to talk about religion. It's a great place to work. The greetings, they're simple and common enough. Uh, they speak to, honestly, they do speak culturally of a positive work environment. This is a great place to be under Boaz's care. It's subtle, but this exchange says something about Boaz, how he respects and is showing kindness to his workers and they are reciprocating it. As Gen Z would say, there's good vibes in this setting, good vibes all around. 
Boaz then takes notice of someone new. He asks the supervisor, who is this young woman? Who does she belong to? And that language is really odd. Belong to, why would that matter? What is he getting at? And it's a weird cultural way to say that he takes notice that Ruth is out of place. Perhaps he can tell that she's a migrant or struggling to get by. Boaz then finds out more information about this Moabite woman who came back with Naomi. She has been working hard all morning with little rest. Before we see the first dialogue between Ruth and Boaz, I want to stop and reflect about an area of life where you can show kindness because this is happening in a work environment. The work environment is very different than anything that we're used to, but nonetheless, it's happening there. And I would say in pastoral ministry outside of maybe family being the greatest area of counsel and conversation, the next biggest is definitely work. Work causes stress and enjoyment. It causes both. And I've found that, uh, that people, it seems, more than even the type of work, contribute to whether the environment is something that promotes human flourishing or encourages it, and it's something that you dread going into. You could be doing work, and the type of actual tasks that you do, you don't really like the job. But you love your coworkers. They're great. And your boss is nice, and he considers your well-being. And you go into that environment, and you might not like your task list, but you love your team, you love your coworkers, and you enjoy it. And on the flip side, you could love the task, you could love the actual job, but your coworkers are miserable and your, your boss is a jerk, right? And then you could go into that environment and all, although you like the like, literal tasks that you're doing, you will not look forward to it because there isn't kindness and respect in that work. So the question is for a covenant community like this, what do you embody in that? Or maybe still in the season of at least bringing it to a Zoom meeting, right? What do you embody? What are you contributing to your work environment? Is there someone there at your work, for example, that God is calling you to show kindness to? But we not only see kindness at work, uh, this setting is almost like going to a marketplace to get food. And so there's this kind of public element of this environment. And that's where the exchange, the dialogue between Ruth and Boaz start to happen. And this is really the heart of the story. Look at verses 8 through 10. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here. With, the woman who work, with women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and drink water from the jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why? Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you noticed me, a foreigner? So Boaz addresses Ruth for the first time, and essentially he is saying four things. Number one, that she can stay in this field. Don't worry about going to another one. Make this field a place that you can go and get food. Number two, she says to stick by his workers. They will treat her kindly. And he specifically, number three, says that he, she does not need to worry about harassment. 
This phrase, lay a hand on you, has broad meaning. It can mean to strike somebody, to take advantage of somebody, to mistreat somebody. And remember again that this is the time of judges, where everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And you want to see the implications of that type of ethic. You read the book of Judges as one of the most dark books of the Bible with how much depravity is on display. And that's the setting of this field. This is not a safe place. And she runs the risk of being seriously abused. And Boaz recognizes this and says, when you're here, nobody is going to touch you in this dangerous world. And the fourth thing he says is that she can drink from the worker's water cooler. And in this cultural moment, there is major class distinction going on. This is a big request to grant to a female migrant that she can go to the male workers' water jars and have a drink. That's the type of kindness and respect and notice that Boaz is giving Ruth. Ruth responds by bowing down to the ground, a cultural expression of respect and gratitude. And she is taken back by this kindness and asks, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you should notice me a foreigner? This is how Boaz responds. Verse 11. Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. So Boaz explains that he's heard of the kindness of Ruth. See, that's not off the radar. This is still very much a book also about Ruth's kindness and how she expresses the kindness of God in this embodied way. And she has courage. Her loving kindness is committed in her commitment to Naomi, and her courage is displayed in turning from everything that she knows and the safety of her former life to embrace this uncertain life with her mother-in-law. And so Boaz gives a blessing to Ruth. And the thing I really want to key in on on that blessing is his remark that the Lord would show her kindness for the kindness that she displays, and that she would especially experience what it's like to have refuge under the mighty wings of God, that she would have that type of certainty and security and peace. And Ruth responds again by recognizing the kindness of Boaz. Ruth is experiencing in this moment emotional comfort because of this kindness, this divine kindness that she's experiencing in daily life through a human being. And her mind is put at ease with the words that Boaz is telling her and the works of kindness, even though she does not have the standing, according to her, to deserve this. But that's the entire point of God's kindness and what Boaz is embodying here. See, the first step in starting to fix some of the things around us is just to take notice. Take notice of the people in front of you who are disadvantaged, who are suffering, even if it doesn't fit into some type of biased narrative that you're, you're embracing. 
because the gospel narrative breaks us out of that to not discriminate in the type of notice that we take about the suffering and injustice of our city. It all matters to us and should weigh heavy on our soul. So one of the first steps, if you're like, what do we even do to fix this mess in our city, is just to take notice. No matter whose suffering it is or where it's located or whose political party it benefits from it, you just notice and you care because that's what the kindness of God does. Now we go from the kindness displayed in this marketplace to the kindness at a dinner table. Look at verse 14 with me. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So time passes from the initial conversation and now we're at mealtime. And Boaz continues to show this kindness in a new setting, the table. And what does he do? He invites her to the table, meaning that she's likely standing far off because, again, she's so aware that I'm out of place and she thinks she's undeserving. But Boaz, no, he has this kindness that's embodied from God himself. And he invites her into the table and he shares food with her. And not only shares food with her, but noted, did you see that he serves her? He gives her food. He's the one that's directly and very personally showing her kindness. And then he gives her so much food that she has some leftovers to take home. And all this happens at mealtime, and the scene ends with more kindness, where he instructs his workers to continue to let her glean from the field, and even to make sure that they're gleaning in such a way that there's a lot extra that she can take home. When you think about how do you show kindness, what's one of the most practical ways that you do it, one of the things you see in the Old Testament and the New Testament time and time again is that hospitality around the table is one of the primary ways that you can show kindness. So if you've taken the first step, you care, and you've noticed something, you've noticed somebody in your life that, that is, is displaced, that's on the margins, and you have a connection in such a way that you can reach out to that person, what would be a step in showing kindness that's very practical? And you invite that person to the table. And I know that was a bigger deal uh, before the pandemic, but we're going into a season where, again, that's becoming a safer and safer activity to do. It's time to get back to inviting people to our table. And even if the thought of maybe having that indoors is uh, still a little concerning, like have it outside, backyard party, get outdoors, invite people back into your life on a walk. It's, it's good to start connecting with those that you have deep relationships with. So it's good to go there. We all need to go there and continue to establish those deep relationships that we have people in our lives. But this is also a time because of just the stress and brokenness of our city that if there is somebody on your radar that is being displaced and forgotten about, this is a perfect time as you start going on walks with more people, having backyard parties with more people, and inviting people back to your dinner table, that you find yourselves around some new guests to host, because that's what God is calling us to do in a practical way. I want to 
close here um, uh, with the, the text, and then I have another closing. That's a, a typical preacher move, by the way. I have a close and then another close, uh, which is another way of saying the sermon's not yet done. So let's go to the very end of uh, chapter two here. And this is, uh, and the key thing I want you to focus in on as I'm reading this is this phrase, guardian redeemer. The setting is that Ruth works until evening, brings back a large and surprising amount of food home. Naomi sees it, and she responds in verse 19. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. So what is that? Because that's a key phrase, and we'll get deeper into this in coming chapters. What's a guardian redeemer? Well, in short, it's a close relative who has the responsibility in this culture for helping family members, especially when they're facing a crisis. This doesn't necessarily mean that he's responsible to marry her, although we'll see if that's the direction that this particular story goes. The emphasis is, is that he is a redeemer in the sense that he's connected to this person in such a way that it's his responsibility to do something about it. Now what's curious about this part of the story is that we know this to be true about what's going on, but Boaz doesn't know it yet. So that's a key detail, meaning that Boaz is showing this kindness not because he has to. It's the overflow of his character. And we would also hope that it's the overflow of the worship of the one who showed him great kindness and grace. And that's where I want to close to really conclude this message is by lingering at a different table, to go to the table of Jesus Christ and to remember his kindness to us and in light of his kindness, what his calling to us is at the table. So this is from Luke chapter 14. The Lord is sitting down with religious leaders and having a good old-fashioned theological and political debate. And during this meal that's hosted by some prominent person, Jesus took notice of something, and this is what he says, key into these seven verses. When Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to the host, I love this, he just calls out the, this, this, this posh host. When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If they do, if you do rather, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. 
when we consider the kindness of Christ in the gospel, Jesus is not calling us to virtue signal our way out of this mess in our city. That's not our calling. It's much more practical and in your face than that. This is a time that the church is being called to be exalted through humility, not boasting about the righteousness that we observe. It's a call to host those in greatest need of hospitality in our personal lives and our daily routines. And it's to live life in light of the resurrection of the dead and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is calling us to take notice of others in our city and our relationships and to care. Because that's what Jesus shows us in the gospel. We are the proud ones that needed to be humbled. We were the enemies of God who were crippled by the powers of sin and death. And Jesus is the one that humiliated himself on the cross for our sins and raised from the dead, where he continues to prepare a table for undeserving sinners like us. Jesus, brothers and sisters, took notice of you, and he cared. And that's our calling in this moment that we experience in this moment in our city. Take notice of what's happening. Don't favor one narrative or the other, and lean into it and care and show some kindness.